All right, we are officially in week number one of this series we've been talking about for a while now called The Presence. And I, I, I did a prequel early in December and kind of helped you understand the things that we needed to do the empty out so we could be ready for God to fill us up. And then for those of you that pressed your way in here last week, the, the last Sunday of the, the uh, 2023 year, we spent some time to kind of introduce this and set it up. And so today I want to dive in and, and really give you some meat to put on the bones. I'm going to read again to you the word of the Lord because I think it's just good for us to keep this turning in our spirit. The word of the Lord for 2024 is that it is a year of the presence of the Lord. It's a year for God's people to become God's shadow and only move when he moves and stay still when he's staying still. The world around you will get darker and more fearful and more confusing in 2024. And there will be events that will shatter the confidence of some people and throw entire man-made systems into chaos. But those who have anchored their life in the presence of the Lord. Any of those people in the house today? Those who have anchored their life in the presence of the Lord. This is, this is talking about you. You're not only going to survive the dark times, you're going to thrive in the dark times. And other people around you are going to look to you for consolation and direction. So this is what you do. You practice God's presence daily and throughout each day. Long for God's presence like you long for oxygen to breathe. Gather together with others who esteem God's presence and separate yourself from any intimate connections with those who dishonor his presence. The gulf is widening and the glory is necessary in order for you to know how to take steps of victory. The decision is yours. Choose today and every day. Will it be blessing and presence and wisdom and favor and healing and prosperity and protection and all the things that heaven has in store for you? Or will it end up being struggle and carnality and personal preference and worldly insight and public opinion and all that Satan wants to throw your way? It's a multiple choice test. Will it be blessing? Will it be cursing? I'm going to help you choose. It's going to be blessing for your life this year. But it's not going to be blessing because we are Christians, not going to be blessing because we're saved, not going to be blessing because we come to church on a regular basis. It's going to be blessing because we are making a conscious decision that God has told us the place to hang out for 2024 is over in his presence. And so since he's given us the answer to the test before the test shows up, how many know it makes sense just to mark the answer he said to mark? This is the year that things are going to get darker for the world around us. But as we said in the word here, it's going to get brighter for those of us who are anchored in God's presence. Now, again, this is not just for those that are saved, because I mean, everybody that's saved isn't necessarily showing forth God's light. But I gave you this, this word last week. God is positioning his people to show forth his glory, his power, his anointing and his provision to a world that is running out of answers. Man, we did the illustration we did last week. Man, It just set the stage. As it gets darker for the world, our light's going to pop on. And as our lights pop on and people begin to see that it's dark for the world, but God's people are showing them a brand new light. God is positioning us that way. We're called to be God's light. And I said this to you last week. We're called to be a guiding light, not a blinding light. You know what I mean by that? You know, a guiding light. Folks are in dark and you say, hey, this is the way out right here. Not a, a light that's shining so bright and and, and showing everybody else what they're doing that's so wrong and, and putting everybody's eyes out because we want them to know how spiritual we are. Come on, say amen, somebody. We're called to be a warming light, not a scorching light. We're called to help people see that the glory of God that is on us is not because there's something extra special about us. 
It's because there's something extra special about the one we're surrendered to. So let's talk today about being led by his presence. I told you last week there are four things we can expect in the presence of God. And the first one we told you is to be led by his presence. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The New Century Version says that, verse 14, this way. The true children of God are those who let God's Spirit lead them. The true children. That doesn't mean the other folks that aren't being led by the Spirit of God aren't born again. But how many know that the children are the ones that get the inheritance? When you're one of the kids, when you're a part of the family, you're in the line for inheritance. The children are the one that get the inheritance. The Bible says the true children of God are those who let God's spirit lead them. This is the implication that that gives us, that it is possible to be born again, but be led by someone or something other than God. Just because we're born again doesn't mean that God is leading us. The implication is it is possible to be born again. It is possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is possible to serve on a dream team. Come on, somebody. It is possible to stand on a stage and preach to other people and still be led by something or someone other than the Most High God. And what he's saying to us is that we want to position ourselves so that we can be led by God. And the crazy thing is, is that in this whole born again experience, What God requires of us is not perfection. He doesn't ask for a commitment from us when we get saved, all the stuff we promise to stop doing. I say that almost every week. He doesn't ask us to promise that we'll be perfect. He doesn't ask us to promise that uh, I'll stop doing these nine things. I I promise you, Lord, I'll never do that again. He doesn't ask that from us. He didn't even ask for a promise from us. Watch this. We're going to try real hard. What God asks for us is a total surrender, which means he's asking us to allow him to guide our footsteps and our decision-making so he can lead us into the life that he has destined for us. Let that, let that sink in for a second. God didn't ask you for perfection. He didn't ask us, give me, I'll, I'll let you be saved, but give me a list of all the stuff you know you need to stop doing and promise me you won't do it. He didn't even ask us to promise, okay, I'll, I'll save you. I'll, I'll let the blood of Jesus Christ pay for all of your sins, but I want you to at least do this for me. Tell me you're going to try really, really hard. All he really asks us to do is make a commitment that I will get out of the driver's seat. I'll climb over into the passenger seat and I will let you watch us drive this life of mine wherever you want it to go. And can we just admit this much that where God wants to take our life is better than where we can take it ourselves. That's about 25 of you that believe that. Come on. Can we just admit that where God wants to take our life? Come on, somebody. It's better than where we can take our lives ourselves. In fact, what God has planned for us is far better than what we could ever script out for ourselves. It's not even close. It's not like, well, God's plan is here, and and the one I was going to do is real close. The plan that God has for us, if we ever, come on, get out of the way and get into the passenger seat and actually let him take us where he's been trying to take us, it is so superior to the one that we have created for ourselves because we have in our mind what we think a good life looks like. We have in our mind what we believe success looks like. And what God wants us to do is to realize he's the one who made us. He made you fearfully and wonderfully. Come on, he knows you inside and out. The Bible says that the very hairs on our head have been numbered. Even the ones that have fallen out on the pillow, God still has them numbered. That was number 3,726 that fell out on the pillow. Even the ones that are really gray, but we've made them black for the rest of the world to see. 
God knows which ones have. Come on, he knows us intimately. And because he knows us intimately, it, it is because he made us. He wired us, which means, hear me out, he knows what would really make us happy more than we know ourselves. Can, can we just say this? Sometimes our, our version of what, what makes us happy has been sculpt, sculpted by what other people have told us. Sometimes our idea of what make, will make us happy has been framed by what social media has shown us. That's why one of the best things you can do for these 21 days is back off of social media. And for some of you, you may need to just get off altogether for 21 days. You may need to just cleanse your system for 21 days. You may need to take 21 days and not see what everybody else is posting about how amazing their life is. Because the life God has for you is better than the one that you or I have tried to dictate for ourselves. When I was in college, uh, I was at, at Michigan State, and I remember being in the dorm room in, in, the, in the study lounge, and I, I was trying to get my life together. Anybody ever been there where you just get, you get tired of doing the wrong thing? So either you have never done the wrong thing, or you still enjoy doing the wrong thing. <laughs> Let me ask you, anybody ever just got to the place you got tired of doing the wrong thing? I just got tired. I got, I got tired of repenting. I got tired of saying I'm sorry. And I got tired of answering the altar call at the church I went to because I went up almost every Sunday, man. I did. The pastor would say, you know, get to the end of the message. He'd say, some of y'all like to, it was like that fire and brimstone. Some of y'all like to lying and cheating out here, you know, showing up at church. You know you ain't been living right. If you've been out here fornicating, you've been out here smoking that weed, you've been out here doing this. I was like, man, I got three for three so far. <laughs> he said, he's like, that's you. Get down here this altar every, every week, man. I was down there at the front, but at some point, you just get tired of that, and I got to the place where I was tired of feeling like that, and I remember sitting in the study lounge in my, in my dorm, and I'm trying to read the Bible, because I knew, I knew enough to know that if I was going to change my life, I had to start with the Word of God, and so I'm in there, I'm trying to read the Bible, but I, was, I had a King James Version. Some of you ask, why don't we use a King James Version? Number one, there's nothing extra anointed about the King James Version. It was written during a time where they talked like that. We don't talketh like that to Inti Morris. <laughs> but I was sitting there trying to read my King James Bible, man. I'm reading it, and, and I would read like three verses, and thus, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt us, and that, but there, there, but. <laughs> And I literally kept falling asleep. And I remember I got up, and it was the middle of winter. I think it was like January or February, this time of year. I got up and opened the window to the study line so all that cold air could come in. Because I'm thinking if I can at least get it cold in here, maybe that'll help me stay awake. And I kept trying to read and I kept falling asleep. I literally woke up and I, I was in tears because my heart was right. I'm trying to get my life together, God. But, and I said this. I said, God, I can't promise you that I, I'm going to read two chapters a day. I can't even read a few verses without falling asleep right now. I said, but I make this promise to you. And I want, I want some of you to get bold enough today to make this declaration. I said, I make this promise. Whatever you tell me from this moment on, I'll do it. Anybody willing to say that to God before days out? Let me tell you what happened when I told him that before you say yes. I told God that, and, you know, I went on about my business, man. And, you know, and, and I had been in a couple situations where I had, gotten, had, had made some bad decisions, and I was hoping I didn't get to harvest on those bad decisions. Ever, anybody ever been there? Man, y'all just some Pharisees in this place today. Anybody else ever been there where you prayed one of those prayers, Lord, if you get me out of this one? <laughs> I promise you, Jesus, just get me out of this. I had prayed one of those prayers, man, and, and God got me out. He did what he, he's always done. 
And I remember being in the dance floor at a big party, and I'm out there partying my behind off. And the Holy Spirit kind of tapped me on my spiritual shoulder and said, but I thought you said <laughs> that if I got you out of that, you was going to go all the way with me. I mean, it'll mess up your groove real fast. And, and so God started taking me down this journey. And so he started giving me little bitty things to do. And one of them was when you go home for the summer, I want you and April to go to church together. Well, you've heard me tell the story before. We went home. We went to my church, good Baptist church the first week. And I just knew she was going to love it because the choir sang for about 45 minutes. The pastor, you know, spoke intelligently for about 10 minutes, and he took off and hooped and hollered, and everybody shouted. I was like, I know she loved this. And so when it was over, I asked her, I said, how would you like the service? She was polite. She was like, oh, it, it was different. <laughs> and so next week, we went to her church, which was Word of Faith. I thought we was going to her church for her to say her final goodbyes. I thought she was going to go let everybody else know that, you know, it, it's been a good run here, but, you know, I, I'm going to church with my boyfriend now, and and we went to her church, and it was the first time I had ever heard a man stand up and actually take the Bible and teach. You know, I'm, not, I'm not knocking any other church, but I'm saying I had never had a, a guy just actually stand up and teach the Bible. I was used to hollering and all the emotions, and, and I literally sat there with my mouth open because I could understand everything he was saying. And he's walking down, and he's saying, this, in, in the original, this was in the Hebrew, and he gave the definition for it and give an illustration. And I walked out of there with so much understanding that it lit a fire on the inside of me. And literally, that was June, and by the time I got around to the fall, I heard God t telling me that he wanted me to start a, a Bible study back on campus at Michigan State. I started, went up there and started a Bible study. It started with like six or seven of us that just got together in the Black Caucus room, and it grew to like 40-something people in a matter of, of five or six weeks, and God's hand was resting on me, and from there, come on, God took me down this pathway where I realized that God was calling me out of the engineering program in Michigan State, and he was calling me to ministry. I wish I could tell you that I jumped for joy. I cried like a baby because God was changing the plan that I had set for my own life. But can I tell you today, when I look back on it, I thought I was called to build cars, but I didn't realize I was really called to build lives for the kingdom of God. And the life I have today, I wouldn't trade it for the one I was trying to create all by myself. And I'm trying to say to you, I don't know what the status of your life is right now. I'm not sure what is working and what's not working. What I can tell you without a doubt is that God has a better life for you than the one you're trying to work out all by yourself. If you'll get out of the way, come on somebody, start listening to his voice and let these other voices stop telling you what to do. 1 Corinthians 14, 10 says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices. Everybody shout voices. voices. Everybody shout voices. voices. Other translations say sounds or languages. There's so many different kinds of voices in the world and none of undistinguishable sound, which means they all have meaning, they all have significance, watch this, and they all have the potential to influence us. So many other voices. That are speaking to us every single day. Every day you wake up, there are other voices. I don't mean like voices in your head. I mean other things that are in trying to influence the decision maker on the inside of you. They're unique voices that speak to us daily, trying to gain mastery over the course of our lives. And here it is. God has a plan for us, but can I tell you this? The enemy has a plan too. And God's plan is contingent upon us following God's voice. Let me give you some of the other voices that, that try to speak to us and gain mastery to lead us in a direction. 
The first one that you'll recognize is just reason and intellect. Reason and intellect. Some people are paralyzed if they can't understand it. There's some of you right now that, that you, know, you, you love this church, you love the teaching you get here, you love the environment, you love how friendly it is here, but you're like, hey, but I don't want to deal with that speaking in tongues thing. I'm good with everything else except for that. I, I'll, I'll take the word, but I don't want that. And, and part of the reason why you struggle with it, some of it is because you got bad teaching growing up. And somebody lied to you and told you that speaking in tongues of the devil, but you know that can't be true because when you were serving the devil, you weren't speaking in tongues back then. But for some of us, some, some of you, the reason you struggle is because your intellect can't figure it out. I don't know what I'm saying. And since I don't know what I'm saying, I don't want to do that. We can never get to the place to where our intellect paralyzes us from benefiting from something God has placed in front of us. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in developing your intellect. I don't believe we should mindlessly follow anything. But I also think we have to recognize that if God was so small that we could put him in a box and figure him out and understand him, I wouldn't want to serve a God that I can understand to a T. I wouldn't want to serve a God that is so simplistic that I got him figured out with my brain. I'm still trying to figure out that doggone periodic table in chemistry from the 10th grade. I don't want to serve a God that I can figure out intellectually. Don't get me wrong, you know, many of us grew up hearing that God is so mysterious, you never know what he may do. God is not mysterious in that way. He will reveal himself to us. Come on, somebody. Come on, man. He will reveal himself to us, but we can't get to the place where we'll only go down an avenue if I can fully understand everything about God. Don't turn your brain off, but also don't let it govern every decision you make in life. We can't put God in our little box of understanding. I mean, you look at things in Scripture, it just don't make sense. It don't make sense how Jesus walked up to this blind man. He can't see. And Jesus takes some, some dirt, spits in it, takes that spitty mud, and puts it in this man's eyes, and now the man can see. Huh? Figure that out. You know, you know how we are today, man. I, I wish you would. You come up here. You, <laughs> you come up here. Pastor, I, I, believe, I believe today is my day for my miracle. I, I want you to pray for me. And while you, while you can't see me, I go, ah, <laughs> You know how some of y'all are. <laughs> You'd be boxing me, man. <laughs> There's so many things, come on, that God has done that surpass our intellect. And what we want to do is use your intellect, but when your intellect runs crossways against something God is saying, let the intellect sit to the side. And let's just go ahead by faith and go with what God has to say about it. If you were here Wednesday night, man, we had an amazing time at first Wednesday, boy. One of the things we realize, we talked about is, I don't believe that science and the Bible are at odds. You know, science says that the earth is millions of years old. The Bible's timeline gives us about 6,000 years of history. I don't believe they're at odds. I don't believe that the Jurassic Age is something that has just been made up. They're clear evidence. They're fossils. So what happened? We talked about it on, on, on Wednesday night. I believe that when you take some time to understand what God has done and put it in the light of the, the scriptures, it all comes to light and makes sense. But we got to understand when it doesn't make sense, I'm still going to go with God because his ways are higher than my ways. Come on, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I'm going to move on and not let reason and intellect stop me. The other voice that we can hear all the time that can try to pull us is our own will. Our own will. Many Christians, hear me out, have become slaves to what we want to do. 
without consideration for the fact that we are bought with a price and God owns our decisions. See, God doesn't ask us for perfection, but watch this. His requirement of total surrender is non-negotiable. He didn't ask us to be perfect, but he does require total surrender, and it's not negotiable. He doesn't come back and say, well, what if I give you 50% of my surrender? What if I give you 85 and a half percent? He doesn't require you to be perfect, but he does require us to be totally surrendered to him. And one of the signs that signals that we are headed toward maturity is our ability to lay our own will down. So many people, man, your, your, your biggest enemy is, is not the devil, it's your own will. Good preaching, Pastor. We, re- we receive that. That's a good word, Reverend. But so many of us, our biggest enemy is not the devil. Think about it, the devil's been defeated. Jesus said, I mean, the Bible, uh, uh, in, in, in James, it says, submit yourself to God. James 4, 7, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. The devil can't be your biggest problem. The biggest problem is we refuse to do the rest of that verse. Submit to God. <laughs> resist the devil so he can flee. So he doesn't have to flee if we refuse to re- submit. Hmm? Amen? What, what did Jesus say in the garden? See, Jesus had a will. He, he, he didn't wake up one morning like, man, I can't wait to get to that cross. Ooh, the nails driven through my hand going to be amazing. Ooh, it's going to be great. He didn't want to go to the cross. He, he, he didn't want to have to deal with what he was getting ready to face. And I believe when his friend Peter said to him that we're not going to let you be killed like that, I believe it put an emotional thought in his mind. It dropped a seed that maybe there's another way to do it other than what the father said. And I believe in that garden he was struggling because now his mind has gotten wrapped around maybe there's another way to do it like I want to do it. So he had to pray three different times. And every time he came back and said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Father, is there any other way we can do this other than the way we got to do it right now? I know what you told me, but I, I really don't want to do it that way. Nevertheless, see, God doesn't have a problem with you having opposition. He doesn't have a problem with you having opposition. He doesn't have a problem with you on the inside not wanting to do the thing you know he told you to do. When he tells you to call so-and-so and apologize when you know you didn't do anything wrong. God, God doesn't have a problem with you struggling with that. What he has a problem is when your struggle with it paralyzes you and you won't move to do what he said to do. The third thing, that's a voice that, that we can, can, can hear from sometimes, our own emotions. Our own emotions. I heard Joyce Meyer say this years ago, emotions have been nominated as the Christian's number one enemy. You know how many things we do because we feel like it? How many good relationships we let fall to the ground because we get emotional and get mad and offended? And because I'm offended now, I'm done dealing with them and I, I wrote them off and I don't mess with them anymore. You know how many marriages would still be healthy today if you didn't let yourself get emotional? I'm preaching better. You don't, it, just because you don't say amen don't mean it's not true. <laughs> you can sit there and look at me. It's still true. You know how many folks have left a good church and their spiritual progress has just gone on a descent because they let themselves get emotional, get offended for a moment, and didn't have enough humility to say, you know what? That was a bad decision. Let me go and get plugged back where God told me to be. We have got to get to the place, ladies and gentlemen, where we will not let our emotions lead us. How many know that feelings change? Hmm? Feelings change, man. But God's plan remains the same. Here's another voice that speaks to us on a regular basis. 
the voice of our own flesh. I can't get an amen on that one. (laughs) Our own body, the voice of our own flesh. That's one reason why on this 21-day fast, you're about to find out that your flesh has a voice. When you just told your flesh you cannot have any fried food for the next 21 days, you know how many fried chicken commercials you're getting ready to see? (laughs) I almost never stop at a Burger King or McDonald's, but every time we start fasting, billboards be just leaping out at me. Whoppers be like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Whatever it is you just told your flesh it cannot have, it is going to scream at you. Like you have done something horribly wrong because our flesh has a voice. It'll cry out for all the stuff you told it was off the menu. See, there's so much value in telling our flesh no. Have you ever thought about this? That the very first sin that man committed had something to do with the food he put in his mouth. Have you thought about this? When the, when the last Adam, I almost called him the second Adam. He's the last because you don't need a third. When the last Adam, Jesus showed up, and he went and fasted for 40 days, and he came back, and the tempter said, I'm going to do the same thing to him that I did to the first one. Have you ever thought about that the very first thing he tried to tempt him with was appetite? He said, I, know, I know how these human beings work. It ain't going to be a problem. <laughs> I've, I've, I've used this play many times before. I used it on the first one. Here, take, take a bite of this fruit. I know, the, I know he told you to leave it alone. Take a bite of this fruit. I got him. And he figured he could do the same thing with the last Adam, Jesus, when he showed up. But Jesus demonstrated to us that if you can control your appetite and you can control your words, watch this, you can control your entire life. That's why the devil has tried to convince you that you don't have the ability to stop eating certain things. That's why he's trying to convince you that you don't have the ability to stop drinking certain things. Why? Because he wants you to think that your body, your flesh has control of your life when in reality you have control because you are a spirit being. Say it aloud. I'm a spirit being. Say it again. I'm a spirit being. I have a soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions, and I live in a physical body. Now say it like you actually mean it. Say, I am a spirit being. I have a soul which is my mind, my will, and my emotions, and I live in a physical body. Say this. Say, this body is not the real me. This body is just my badge, my authority that allows me to stay here on the earth and finish my assignment. That's why when this body gives out, I have to leave here. But this body is not the real me because I am a spirit being. I have a soul and I live in this house called my physical body. Now, if you really believe that, you ought to give God a shout, man. You ought to give God a shout. See, think about this body. Can I just say this? Your body is neutral. Your body doesn't really care if you go to heaven or hell. Your body's not rooting for you to go to heaven. Why? Think about it. Whether you go to heaven or hell, this body goes into the ground. Yeah, I mean, you don't go come to a funeral and, and look in a casket all day. They must have went to heaven that the body's not there. 
Whether you go to heaven or hell, the body stays here. That's why, I, can I help, can I free you up? That's why it doesn't really matter whether you cremate the body or you put it into the ground. Because if you put it into the ground and don't embalm it, it's going to disintegrate anyway. The only thing that keeps it, you know, still intact for a little while is the embalming fluid you put in it. It, it, it's not a sin to, to cremate that body. Because you said, but, yeah, but God's going to bring us a glorified body. It ain't going to be that one. And, and why, even if it was going to be that one, if the man can speak in light show, if you don't think he can bring back the dust and the ashes from the ocean and wherever else you put them? Point I'm making is that body's not you. The body doesn't care if you go to heaven or hell because it's going into a ground. All the body wants to do is party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. My body wants to party. That's all, that's all the body cares about. It just wants to have fun. Body just wants to eat chocolate cake, man. I just want, I want cake. I, I know it's 3 a.m., but I'm hungry. I want some chocolate cake. The body wants fried food. It wants... The body wants all, as soon as your doctor says it's not a good idea, the body says, yes, that's exactly what I want. That's why Paul said, like a boxer, I buffet my body. He said buffet. I know some, some folks misunderstood, misread that and thought he said, I buffet my body. He didn't. <laughs> you pronounced it wrong. He didn't say I buffet my body. I buffet. I, he said, I treat it harshly. I, I put it through difficulties. That's what happens when you make your body get up to exercise in the morning, but it doesn't want to. You make your body get up. The alarm clock goes off. You set in your mind, your will said, I'm going to do better this year. The alarm clock goes off. Your body said, I wish you would. We ain't going nowhere. Then your body put one leg out the, out the cover. Oh, it's cold. Oh, we definitely ain't going. <laughs> Because the body doesn't really care. That's why we have to stop listening to the voice of this body. Give me an amen, somebody. Here's another one. Here's another one that we got to stop listening to. We got to stop listening to the voice of culture. The voice of culture. So many believers take their cues about what's right or wrong, what's acceptable or unacceptable from what culture says rather than what God's word says. So many believers, I'm about Christians, that lick their finger to see what does everybody else think about it. What is social media saying? What's trending right now? And we, we, we get comfortable because if everybody else is doing it, then it must be okay. But the reality is the Bible has something to say about that. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to where? Yeah. Come on, that leads to where? Yeah. And many people enter through that gate. In other words, everybody's doing it that way. But the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life. And only a few people actually find the right road. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean that God's in agreement with it. How about Romans 12, 2 from the Message Bible? It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture. <laughs> don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Don't, don't, don't just let your mind drift and be so okay with everything happening in your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Listen to this. We cannot afford to have our lives shaped by the opinions and the approvals of other people. We have to be rebels when it comes to this culture. 
Can I, can I, and I'm not saying you got to be you got to be boring. I'm not saying you got to be a square. I actually think this is good for Christians to have a level of of of, of swag, a level of style. I think it's good. I mean, I, I, cause I think the world expects that once you get saved, now you're gonna look like a nerd, and you're not gonna ever know. It. But I, what I'm saying is, we got to stop letting culture tell us what we do and don't do. Stop letting culture tell us what's okay and what's not okay. Let's go to the Word of God. Have your own style. And don't do what you do because everybody else is doing it. All you've done is just hitched your wagon to the train that the culture is taking you down the street. Here's one more for you, uh, another voice. There's probably seven or eight more that I could come up with, but I want to give you one more. That is a voice that we listen to that we shouldn't be listening to, and that's politics. The voice of politics. See, some Christians are more devoted to their preferred political party than they are the Word of God. And I've seen this with my own two eyes, man. There's some believers that will fight you to defend Democrat or Republican before they'll fight you to defend Jesus. Elbow your neighbor and tell them I'm getting really uncomfortable sitting next to you right now. (laughs) Can I just be honest with you? There are no pure parties that exist. Just aren't. None. So if you're a Democrat and you feel good about being a Democrat, please don't think that everything the Democrats do is right. Take what the Democrats are doing compared to what God says in his word, and you decide where I stand. If you think the Republicans are God's party, and, and because, you know, it's because there's a, a, a certain bent that that must be what, there are no pure parties. Take what your Republican party thinks, believes, wants to do, compare it to what the word of God says. And take a stand that I'm, I, I'm a believer. What's your party? I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to let the voice of politics have me mad at my brother because I, I, I lean one way, he leans a different way. And I'm mad at you because you know it's election season. I can't stand some of y'all during election season. I can't, some of y'all, I can't stand y'all. Because you spend your whole time trying to convince other people who they should vote for. Instead of just recognizing there's the very things the enemy uses to try to divide us. Amen. Don't let the voice of politics speak to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. You like this one, right? I say this because I know what I'm planning for you. That's God talking. He says, I have good plans for you. Not plans to hurt you. He said, I want to give you hope. And I want to give you a really, really good future. See, if we could only get a glimpse into what God had planned for us. It would strengthen us and encourage us to just do things his way and his way only. If we could ever get a glimpse of what God really has planned. See, 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 getting that glimpse, it happens in the presence of God. The more time we spend in the presence of God, God gives us a glimpse of what he has planned for us. Remember that the Bible says this, that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but he has already revealed them to us by his spirit. God will tell you things on the inside that don't make sense to your head yet. If we get along with God, he'll give us a glimpse. And for some of you, the reason why you're discouraged and depressed is because you're looking at what's happening with your natural eyes. And you haven't gotten along with God long enough for him to give you a glimpse into what he's got planned for you spiritually. I'm talking to some of my single ladies right now. Please don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that you're damaged goods. Don't let them tell you you're never going to get married. 
Don't let them tell you because you've been married X number of times, you have X number of children that there's, you, you're never going to get married. It's a lie. God's got somebody for everybody. But you don't get a glimpse of that when you're out here just dangling around. You don't get a glimpse of that when you're putting yourself half naked on your social media to try to get attention from guys there. You get a glimpse of it when you get alone in God's presence. And you let your daddy reestablish your worth and your value. When you come out of his presence, you look in the mirror now, and now you see somebody beautiful. Now you see somebody who's worth having. Now you refuse to let your self-worth be dictated by what that raggedy... Almost said something I shouldn't say on day one of fast. Don't let your self-esteem be controlled by him. He didn't, he didn't hang the sun and the moon and the stars in their place. Your daddy did that. He didn't say, let there be light and light still going. Your daddy did that. So climb into his presence. Let him reestablish. Let him rebuild who you are. Let him give you a new image of how amazing you really are. You used to know it. You let somebody else talk you out of it. But it's still there. It's still on the inside. Get back in his presence, man. Get back. Get back into his presence. Let him reestablish. You're still just as valuable today as you always were. And the people in your life that really matter, they're the ones that are reminding you. You don't need him. You don't need them. You're, you're, you're just right the way God made you, man. In God's presence, the ways of the world and the bait of Satan loses his appeal. In God's presence, listen to this, we get unstuck in his presence. So many believers are just stuck in a place of complacency, and you, you haven't seen any advancement. God wants you to move forward. It's, it's, a, it's blowing my mind how many testimonies I've gotten over the last two months here of believers here at Impact Church that are saying, Pastor, I took you up. I came to this church, and I took you up on your challenge. You said, give me one year. Do everything we ask you to do for that one year. Don't, don't pick and choose. Do the growth track. Get plugged in, start serving on the dream team. Go to a small group. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Start giving. I took your challenge to do, take one year and do everything you said. And I've, I can't tell you how many people I have, I have, have had looked me in the eye or sent me a message and say, my whole life has been changed. My, my, my kids are changed. My kids and grandkids are now coming to church and have gotten saved. And it happens, why? It's just because you stop being stuck. You start taking a step. That's what the app is about, man. Not, we, we didn't just sit around with nothing to do, so we decided to do a new app. I want to see you move forward. And so many times we end up hiding. When God came to Adam, he said, where are you? He's supposed to be in his presence. He said, where are you? And Adam's hiding. Some of you have been hiding. And I can't find you in this current state. And Mirror Road, when there was 250 of us or 500, I could find you. If I didn't see you, I could come looking for you. I can't find you. And some of you are getting stuck. And because you've gotten stuck, your marriage is in trouble. Other parts of your life are deteriorating. And you smile at church, but you're hurting. This app is designed to let us know you. Let us see where you are. What part of your journey have you not taken yet? What step have you not taken? Allow us to send you some special messages just for you, man. With your name on it, it tells you about the benefits that this church has what God wants to do 
to help you move forward. I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited. There's, there's some of you, I'm looking out at you right now, and I know some of your stories, and I know you're in, a, you're in a broken space right now, but I'm so excited because out of your brokenness, I can see what maybe you can't see right now through your pain, and that is God's getting ready to put all those pieces back together. He's getting ready to rebuild and put you back together, and you'll be better than you ever have been before because you made a decision to fully trust God. Lift up your hands with me, man. Ooh, I had a good time. Ooh. Woo! Come on, lift up your hands. Lift up your hands and just worship with us. Lift up your hands and just worship with us. moment to just let God speak to you. Close your eyes for a moment. And I'm going to ask you, please don't walk out. Do not leave unless you have some emergency. Part of what we got to get better at is reverencing God's presence. That makes no sense to dash out of here right when God is speaking to us still. To do what? Get your kid first so you don't stand in a line? 
It's 9.15. There's time, man. Lift up your hands. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You are good all the time. Come on, open up your mouth and just tell them how much you love them in your own words. Just use your own words. Tell them how much you love them. We bless your name, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We surrender our lives to you, Jesus. We lift up our voice and sing out a love song to you, Jesus. You alone are worthy, Jesus. How we love you. Thank you for your presence, Jesus. Thank you for your presence, Jesus. Thank you for your presence, Jesus. We love you, Lord. 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 Worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy. We love you. If you're in here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. We're not here to embarrass you. Nobody's going to call you up here to the front of the auditorium, but right there where you are at your seat or right there online, I want to lead you in a really simple prayer that if you mean this with all your heart, God will do what the scripture says. He'll change you from the inside out. He'll instantaneously make you a brand new creation in Christ when you make a decision to surrender your life to him today. And then he'll take you step by step by step by the hand and help you to make whatever other changes he may want you to make in your life as a whole. So I'm getting ready to lead you in a prayer, but I need you to give me permission to do so. So I'm going to look across the room and I'm going to count to three. When I get the three, if you're saying yes, this first Sunday of the year, Pastor, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. When I get the three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up and just keep it up for a few moments. Let me acknowledge you. You can put it back down. All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed, so nobody's looking around. This is personal between you and God. But I'm asking you to be bold and courageous and just raise your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front, but I want you to raise your hand so it's written in the the logbook of heaven that you made this day, the day that you said yes to Christ. So here I go. One, two, three. Lift up your hand. Thank you. First Sunday of the year. Come on. See that hand there? Beautiful. Another hand there. Thank you. Another hand there. Thank you. See that hand there? Thank you, sir. See that hand there? Another hand there in the back. Thank you. See that hand there? Come on. All over the room. Hands are going up. We're just waiting on you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. God's not going to force you, but he is knocking on the door of your heart. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hand right there. Anybody else? Raise your hand. You're just saying, yes, I want Jesus. Thank you. See a person sitting down right there. Your hand is up. Anybody else? Anybody online? Raise your hand and just click that yes button when they put the poll on the screen there. Beautiful. All right, every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me and forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And I give you full permission to drive this life wherever you want it to go. I call myself right now, born again, in Jesus' name, amen.
Come on, Impact Church, put your hand in.